Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. We'll get back to the story of Go Life. University of Alberta's pro-life group and a hefty security charge in just a moment. But we're grateful to Dr. David Swan for clearing a few moments in his morning block to speak with us. Of course, yesterday, uh, Dr. Swan, co-chair of the province's Mental Health and Addictions Review, presented, along with Alberta's Health Minister and Deputy Premier Sarah Hoffman, the findings of a Valuing Mental Health Report. It's a report on the status of Alberta's mental health and addictions strategy. It contains 32 recommendations, including six priorities. Dr. Swan joining us over the phone this morning. Thanks in advance. Good morning, Ryan. This must, uh, I, I suppose, from your perspective, not just as a, as a politician, but also as a medical practitioner, be something that was right at the top of, of your priority list. Why was this review so important? Well, it began at least three years ago when the current premier and past critic and I were on the same committee and uh, pressing the government of the day, the PC government, to examine child mental health because we're hearing increasing complaints about the lack of access and some cases quality issues. We suggested that and nothing happened, so uh, the first thing she did when she became Premier was she called for this inquiry and broadened it to mental health services in general. It's striking, uh, and I'm not sure that that most Albertans realize that our province actually has the second highest suicide rate in Canada. How much of a priority was that most specifically as we see that rate continuing to rise? Well, indeed, it is a critical issue for us, especially among young people. It's, it's uh, preventable. It's uh, clearly there are risk factors that we can identify. There are standard protocols that should be in place and best practices that uh, should be implemented in emergency rooms as well as in family doctors' offices and psychologists. Uh, this is a part of a continuum of care that is needed and team-based care, Ryan, that has been missing in Alberta. We have a very fragmented system between the health system and and within the health system itself, uh, between the health system and education, for example, between the health system and human services, the, the social support system, the welfare system. Uh, there's a poor communications even within the health system, doctors and in the hospital and doctors in the community don't communicate as well as they need to. Primary care system for family physicians and, and the, the primary care networks can do a better job in terms of assessing and referring uh, mental health problems. So there are tremendous challenges in the system. It's a tremendous opportunity to improve the system, and I certainly welcomed it uh, and was pleased to table that report yesterday. You talk about some of the communications shortfalls or, or, or the, the voids that have been noted. Uh, where else do you believe these recommendations will make up ground to protect those people, those Albertans that are currently falling through the cracks? Well, I, as I've identified in my letter uh, accompanying the report, the first order of business has to be Alberta Health, the department under the minister, and Alberta Health Services the delivery arm of the system with the board in between, 
the new board appointed, they have to get their act together. They have not been working well together for years. Uh, that it's reflected in the demoralization in the system, the, the mixed messages and the lack of clear direction on mental health and addictions issues. And we were very careful to put mental health together with addictions. They've been kind of the poor cousin in the health system anyway. And then addictions are even lower down on the priority list uh, for most healthcare systems uh, because, wrongly, they're assumed to be a choice. Addictions are part of an illness uh, and part of a mental illness that is increasingly being understood to be both preventable and treatable if it's appropriately managed and if some of the stigma is removed from either the mental health, mental, mentally ill person or the person with an addiction. Dr. Swan, why should Albertans be optimistic that this report will be any different than promises that were made but not kept back in 2008, 2011, 2013? What's different about this one? Well, that's a very good question, and uh, it was something that we were asked in our consultations across the province, some people hesitating to even participate because they have been involved in previous reviews where nothing happened. I can tell you that uh, me as an opposition critic and these organizations that I've encouraged to be part of the implementation monitoring group uh, are all going to be calling for at least quarterly updates on how we're making progress on these critically important changes that have to occur in the system. Clients themselves, some of whom uh, have already spoken out and were in the media today, are also going to be quite vocal. And I think uh, to give credit where credit is due, the Premier made this a top priority. The Health Minister was part of the decision to have the opposition, my, my uh, position on this panel, uh, on this review panel. So I, I see a, a very different government and a very different commitment to, to change in this province. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I will be holding their feet to the fire over the next year. That's good to hear. Uh, Dr. Swan, a couple of more notable criticisms of the report yesterday. Uh, number one, uh, Paula Simons in the Edmonton Journal argues that there's nothing being done about a chronic shortage of psychiatrists in the province. And Dr. Christopher Wells from the University of Alberta was uh, dismayed to see no specifics with regards to LGBT youth. Can I get you to respond to those? Yeah, very good, very good comments and questions. I think it's fair to say that we are short of psychiatrists and we should be finding... Uh, ways to train and, and uh, attract and retain psychiatrists here. Uh, it takes too long, especially child psychiatry is in desperate shortage, and that needs to be highlighted. Uh, I guess part of what we're focusing on in this report is the broader issues that have to do with earlier intervention in some of these conditions. Virtually all adults with mental health and addictions issues have had child trauma issues that should be addressed more effectively, identified. Um, it should be screened for in our family physician offices, in our psychologist offices, in our teachers, among our teachers. These have to be, uh, we have to move our focus upstream on psychiatry and uh, mental illness and addictions. We can do so much well before they need a psychiatrist. So. 
that's a fair comment uh, under the current circumstances, but we have to do a better job of identifying and treating these people in the community, in the primary care setting, in the family doctor setting, uh, providing more community supports and social supports for poverty, for housing, for some of the issues that actually contribute tremendously to the breakdown of people in their uh, challenging lives, especially with with some of the um, social uh, deficits in their in their lives and the and the traumas previously. Well, with we do know that Chris the... Wells. Sorry. Oh no, please go ahead. You were just about to get to it. Yeah, with respect to Chris Wells' criticism, it's 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 well taken. It was an oversight. They did make a great presentation to our committee, and I regret that uh, somehow it got skipped over in the final report. I intend to make a statement about that um, because it's a critically important part of our, our new reality in Alberta that there's been real recognition of LGBTQ rights and, and our responsibility to create uh, support groups in schools. Is one of our bills, particularly the Gay-Straight Alliance bill, was a liberal uh, bill that was passed in the House last year, and we feel very strongly about that. Somehow it slips by us with the the plethora of issues from, from um, you know, uh, dementia in, in, in late life and schizophrenia and the, the many addictive uh, problems and programs that are out there, uh, suicide issues. Uh, the, it's, it's one of those that just slipped by us without uh, adequate comment, and, and I think we all uh, recognize that it's, a, it's an important part of what should be in this review. Okay, Dr. David Swan, leader of the Alberta Liberals and of course uh, co-chair of this uh, Provincial Mental Health and Addictions Review. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. This is, uh, as mentioned, 32 different recommendations. Uh, The six priorities include adding medical detox beds for adults, uh, six or eight new beds in Lethbridge, converting 20 beds in Red Deer, expanding access to addiction treatment by opening three new social detox beds for children and youth in Calgary, Working in partnership with First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities to develop an opiate addictions action plan. Increasing technology-based solutions, uh, including launching a child and youth mental health website this spring. And developing a performance monitoring and evaluation framework to track results on report recommendations and benefits to Albertans. That might be the key right there. Monitoring evaluating the framework, tracking results. As mentioned, these reports have been presented in past. Promises have been made, in some cases, ambitious ones, and nothing done. $4.5 million already budgeted, by the way, to implement some of these in anticipation of this final report, which was, of course, commissioned last June. You can let us know your thoughts on that. Mac has just chimed in, says this review into addictions and mental health is a great stepping stone. It's an example of a valid multi-party study, otherwise known as, you know, a bipartisan study that will have long-lasting benefits for Alberta. Mac says it's sad that the NDP refuses to do anything to help industries that will pay for social programs, as well as their abject refusal to have any multi-party input on their negligent, self-serving, Marxist-backed Bill 6. Mac letting us know how he really feels. We'll fit in a quick break, and then we'll return to the conversation we kicked off before the 10 o'clock news. A University of Alberta pro-life group known as Go Life say that 
their freedom of speech is being stifled, it's being trampled on after they've been hit with a $17,500 charge for security. If they want to put on another demonstration, another public display, including most likely graphic images of aborted fetuses. We'll get to your comments. If you'd rather call in, if you're familiar with the story, 780-496-0063 will bring you up to speed with details next. You're listening to The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. If you're just joining us, the University of Alberta's pro-life group known as Go Life say for now they're calling off an on-campus demonstration after the university has asked for a $17,500 security fee. You may remember, we covered this story last year, in March of 2015, when a graphic demonstration, uh, significant prominent images of aborted fetuses was blocked. There was a counter demonstration, a counter protest by, well, we must assume pro-choice representatives. It caused a bit of a brouhaha at the university and uh, actually prompted a lawsuit. Go Life suing the university, saying that the U of A didn't do enough to uphold their freedom of speech. They've even gone further, pointing out that the University of Alberta Protective Services, the security force there at the U of A, just stood by passively while dozens of students, uh, joined by non-students, by the way, including NDP Member of Parliament Linda Duncan, blocked off their demonstration. They say they denied students their legal right to see Go Life's display. University of Alberta Protective Services didn't ask demonstrators to see student ID. The Go Life group says that they violated the U of A's very own rules. And in discovering that they were going to have to pay this $17,500 security fee, Amberly Nickel, president of the group, said that she was blown away. Here she is in an interview with 630 Chad. It's very sad, I think. It's sad that the university uh, feels as if it is easier to silence an unpopular opinion uh, than it is to deal with the people who do not want to have open discourse on a university campus, which is where we should be discussing these difficult issues. On the text line to 630-630, Adam says that pro-life group is only being charged a fee on university grounds. He says if they're committed to their cause, they can move their little squawk meeting across the road or to the legislature grounds where they won't be charged a fee. He says, I'm sure their commitment will drop if it's in a less fashionable location, but they still get to share their message. That may be true, but is that right? Does this fly in the face of what university is supposed to be all about? Shane says, how is the pro-life group's right to free speech being infringed upon? He says, no one's saying they can't have a rally. The university is just saying that they expect the pro-life group to pick up the tab for security. Shane says, the last time I checked, the university is a private organization and it's entitled to do that. If the pro-life group doesn't like that, they can always see about having their rally in Churchill Square. Well, a few things there, Shane. I mean, number one, the university receives public funds. And second of all, the U of A is just saying, yeah, you've just got to pick up the security tab, but $17,500? I mean, isn't that a gag order for all intents and purposes? Richard says, hey, the graphic images go too far. 
It's like these people think if they protest hard enough, they'll convert everybody to their point of view. Sometimes people can't see past the end of their nose. Richard says you have to understand other people have different things going on in their lives, or maybe people might even have young kids with them. He says you can't just do whatever. Richard says that said, though, that $17,500 fee is BS. Let's see what Lorna has to say. Good morning. Hi, Ryan. Um, I'm just commenting on the general idea of um, political correctness and and people being sensitive to other people's feelings, and yet when they're um, confronted with people that oppose their opinion, as in the pro-choice, it's like we have no, we will just play whatever card we can to shut the opposition down. Hmm. And then I go back to, I look at then what kind of character person am I dealing with? If I have someone that's that's committed to their opinions on either side and they're willing to discuss them, I will have some kind of trust in both uh, both dialogues. However, when I see one part saying, oh, we're so caring about everybody, and yet if you would disagree with me, I will shut you down, I look at that character and I no longer trust them. Lorna, I'm inclined to agree with you. Yes, and that's what I'm seeing with the political correct movement. I'm sure there's people of good intention on that side. However, this is one more example of, I just feel like it's a way to shut people up. And I'm, I'm getting a little tired of that um, exposure. And I have a very different response to someone that's speaking authentically versus somebody that's using, um, using an intention for their benefit. I think that's very well stated, Lorna. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Appreciate it. On the text line, Stephen says these opposition groups forget that just a short time ago, they were the ones fighting for their point of views. To have this happen at university is a tradition. He said this also happens, you know, it's happened in past in science and engineering. He says the guy who came up with the concept of the jet engine was censored. He was laughed at for quite some time. Another listener says, I'm, I'm confused. Shouldn't the pro-choice group who performed an unregistered protest... I mean, shouldn't they be the ones to pay the security charge? Why should the organizers of the registered protest have to pay? Says, what's even the point of registering a protest? You might as well just protest like the pro-choicers did. This is so backwards, it's not even funny. You're onto something there as well. Let's see what Paige has to say. Good morning, Paige. Good morning. That last text comment in regards to what Lorna said was exactly what I wanted to touch on. Um, So the text comment you just read, which indicated clearly that the people who set the protest up had it approved by the university. And the people who were there in defense or offense and were offensive didn't have any authority to be there whatsoever. So I don't believe that the university is in a position to be asking what they're asking for at all. I think the university actually kind of winds up with egg on its face on this one. They really do. They do. They just don't look good at all. You know, it's just a bad decision. I think they should rethink that. Thanks for the call, Paige. Thank you. Appreciate it. Richard in from Calling Lake. Hi, Richard. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Yeah, it's the same thing when, uh, was that a week and, week and a half ago when they had the, uh, um, it wasn't even a protest. It was just a march to commemorate the murdered and missing Aboriginal women, and the police department decided this year they were going to have to charge them for... Uh, yeah, know, Danielle Boudreau told us all about that last week. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, what's what's up with that too? It's it's like uh, it's a way of like you say, gagging, gagging these uh, groups, gag order. I mean, it doesn't make sense these arbitrary decisions they make. Oh yeah, we'll do it for all these other previous years, but this year we're going to charge you. So I don't know. It's kind of a two-tiered system. Seems to be a little bit, Richard. Thanks for the call. Always good to hear from you. Yeah, you know, I hey, listen. I mean, my thoughts on this, uh, I, we don't take a position on this show uh, with regards to abortion. It's not something that we're prepared to debate, and, and I've discussed that in past. Uh, perhaps our policy on that will change in future, but to be honest, uh, and I'll just be forthright and straightforward on this, I don't imagine that a debate, let alone viewing a graphic image, is going to change someone's mind on something as personal and something as significant as that issue. But you may disagree with me, and that's your right. Would love to hear from you on this. You can email us anytime by visiting the show's link at 630ched.com. Here's the news. This is The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630ched. Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Humans are astonishing. We thrive in every ecosystem on Earth. My name is Niobe Thompson. I'm an anthropologist. I want to know how we became our world's only global species. We once faced extinction, but now we are everywhere. I'm on a journey to some of our world's last traditional cultures. And I'm going back in time to our origins in Africa. Join me as we meet our ancient human cousins. Explore the story of our evolution and our miraculous survival. Come with me on the Great Human Odyssey. The Great Human Odyssey, returning to Edmonton in concert this Thursday, a full-length presentation, and then we'll get to some details on how you may be able to catch it Friday and Saturday. It is my absolute pleasure to have two homegrown talents here in studio, uh, two of those that have made this project happen. Composer Darren Fung, amazing to see you. Great to see you too. Thanks for having us, Brian. And uh, professional adventurer, though technically we'll call you an anthropologist. Uh, pretty excellent to see you as well. Niobe Thompson, welcome yeah, to the happy studio. To be here. Thanks, Ryan. That was your voice that we heard in the trailer for The Great Human Odyssey. For those that aren't familiar, for those that didn't see this originally presented on The Nature of Things, what's this all about? Well, we had uh, three hours to tell the story of our human origins. And, I mean, the great thing about the study of human origins is that we discover something absolutely mind-blowing about where we came from as a species every year it seems. So you can always go back and and discover new things and bring them to audiences. So for example, five years ago no one had any idea that most of us carry Neanderthal DNA, that we had sex with Neanderthals when we left Africa, and we're part Homo sapiens and part Neanderthal. So this is a field of study that's always producing the most incredible discoveries. Uh, now my question was, why didn't humans go extinct? Because if you look back in time, say a million years, um, the world that we lived in was kind of like Middle Earth. 
So it was full of other kinds of humans. There were Neanderthals, of course, but there were all kinds of other creatures that we're beginning to discover now, like Denisovans and even hobbits. So the question is, why are we the only walking apes left? So that was the premise. That's what drove me to go around the world for 18 months from our origins in Africa to the rest of the planet to ask what's, uh, you know, what's our special sauce? What do we have that the others didn't that got us this far? And what do we have? Well, it's... Uh, your, your audience is probably guessing ahead of me. The brain. You know, our incredible flexibility, our adaptability. It, you know, <clears throat> remember, we live everywhere. We live in the high Arctic. We live uh, on the sea. We live in tropical environments. But we evolved not so long ago in terms of, of, of evolutionary time in Africa in a wet environment. So our kidney, for example, is evolved to live in a tropical rainforest. We need to flush our kidney with two liters of water a day or we're done. Yet you find humans living in the deserts. So you've got humans everywhere. That is a testament to our flexibility, our, our ability to change our environment, to wrap ourselves in clothes, to, to act in ways that make it possible for a tropical ape to live anywhere. I'm sitting here with eyes as wide as saucers, uh, my jaw on the table, listening to the ambitious nature of this project and the magnitude of some of the questions you've asked here and attempted to answer in this film, Darren, you had a very unique challenge. This awe-inspiring topic had to be reflected and captured in music with a score. And this is what fell into your lap. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that, you know, it's an incredible story, but at the, at the end of the day, it's a story, right? And there are human emotions. There, there's triumph. There's defeat. There's courage. All those sort of things that make you know that make a great film score. You think about you know the latest Star Wars soundtrack or the latest um, the latest film soundtrack. You go, and that's really what it boils down to is that it's telling emotions. And so we're telling. I'm helping Niobe tell the story of how humans have survived. Did you first take a look at either the script or some of the raw footage and, and get yourself up to speed on exactly what you were attempting to score? I mean, what sort of a process do you go through as a musician? Well, so Niobe approached me about two years two years before we um, two years before we, um, um, we 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 finished the project, you know. And, and so we talked about the project. We did the the pre production planning, and then about a year out, you know, I was back in Edmonton visiting family, and he said, "Why don't you come over?" You know, he had just come back from Siberia, and he had these 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 rushes, these, these shots, and it was of this um, this Inuit warrior jumping over ice floes in Siberia, and you kind of look at that, and you're like. It's amazing. Like you look at that, and you're just you're floored by by the, the the beauty of the footage, and then you go, wait a second, how the heck did you shoot that, right? Because you're, you're you know it's a dolly shot, and the dolly's like the little thing that that kind of runs across the train track and uh, and and gives you that shot, and you, how do you do that over ice flows in Siberia, and you know and you know the film is just full of these spectacular shots, and you sort of understand why. Naomi wants the grandeur of an orchestra and a choir to do to to tell his story, right? Um, so then, you know, fast forward, fast forward. We look, um, you know, hear the rough cut. By the time we finally start working on the music, it was seven weeks before we recorded the film. Before we finally, you know, locked the music down. Now, 
you on Thursday will be conducting the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra live. And Niobe, you'll be narrating live. What does the live element add to what I'm sure is already a pretty powerful story? Well, you're right, Ryan. There are a lot of moving parts up on the stage. We have uh, 45 or more players. We have a full 30-person choir, as far as I know. Yep. Uh, percussion. And then the composer is conducting. I made the film. I'm up on the big screen above you, and I'm in front of you telling you the story. I think that it's, um, and it's a wonderful integration of all of those parts. I mean, ultimately, what people are coming to see is a film, is a story. They want to go back in time with us. But also, they get to see behind the scenes how the music is actually created and they hear it in you know, the wonderful fidelity of you know full live sound orchest- orchestral sound at the windspear but um also you 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 see that uh, I, I play various roles in the film, so not only am I the director and the host, but um, I'm the voice you hear. And I think seeing all those parts in front of you will really make this into a special presentation. Uh, I wanted to say that you know, a year ago when we were in the Windspear doing the score recordings, that's when I realized that we had such an incredibly strong score. I mean, Darren had done such an amazing job that we had to find a way to open the film up and make it a musical adventure once again. We promised ourselves a year ago that we would do this. We'd come back, we'd open the film up, re-edit it, recompose it for uh, a live performance. So we're, we're so glad to be here one year later. It actually happened. Yeah. Now, of course, this is not an easy process, putting something like this together, to state the very obvious. Uh, and you actually provided us a, a bit of a behind-the-scenes look. Uh, I think, Darren, this is your voice we're going to hear off the top oh, okay. of some, some, some of the exhaustion or the stresses relating to scoring something like The Great Human Odyssey. And exhaustion is what I'm worried about. The brain just starts to go. Sorry, stand by. You guys can't walk around when we're about to record. I think the most tiring part of it is like you have to be really quiet. We cannot, 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 cannot do anything until I put my hands down, like pencil marks or anything like that, because that's going to affect the recording. Overtime frenzy! We just ran out of time. And so we're going to work into overtime. But, I mean, all things considered, we've done an incredible amount of music in very little time. We're very close, very close to the end. Another half an hour and the orchestra is finished. I need a drink. <laughs> Did anybody get you your drink? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. We, 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 had, we had a few after. Um, I... <laughs> I think that was just Darren. I was just Darren at work. That's just how Darren is when he's in a high stress situation. I mean, you, you're always on the clock. But I was there. I was the filmmaker, and so I was looking for the drama. So I, I was saying to my my film crew, okay, watch Darren, watch Darren. When he gets stressed out, when he begins to pull his hair out, I want the camera on him. And so we actually drew out those moments Uh-oh. to make this into a drama. And you know that 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 little video that you played, um, it it was the it was the only behind the scenes that went truly viral. Yeah. It was a Vimeo staff pick, and 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 millions of people saw it. This this uh, series nominated for four different Canadian Screen Awards. Uh, as mentioned, it'll be presented live uh, Thursday at the Windspear Centre. I'm curious to know the impact that this film has on the audience. I'd like to get into that with uh, both director Niobe Thompson and Darren Fung, the composer behind the music of The Great Human Odyssey, when we return. This score 
composed by Darren Funk, an Edmontonian who will be conducting the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra Thursday evening. Niobe Thompson, the director of the film and anthropologist, will narrate it live. Tickets available through the Winspear Centre box office. Also a late performance Friday and a kid's performance on Saturday. You can find all the details again uh, via edmontonsymphony.com. You had to know, Niobe, you were going to get a question like this appearing on 6.30 Ched. Uh, Brian's wondering, is there anywhere the story can be seen that won't involve David Suzuki? Uh, Yes, absolutely. You can see it on CBC and it won't involve David Suzuki because I'm the host. So there you have it. Another listener, and this is interesting, and and, uh, happy to bring this up. Dan wonders if I'll follow up this current interview uh, with someone from a creationist viewpoint. Uh, He wonders why people, including media, are so quick to believe in evolution. Dan says, where's the hard and fast, indisputable proof that makes everybody feel like they're 100% correct? What was your journey toward awareness like in producing, directing a film like this? Uh, Well... I was an anthropologist. I taught in a university before I started to make films. And I made that jump into the filmmaking world because I wanted to bring science to a general audience. That's my mission in life. And I think the more that we know as a society about science, about evidence, uh, the better we're going to be at making decisions about the hard issues we face. And look, there is no incontrovertible, indisputable evidence for any theory, including the Christian Genesis theory. Um, these are all creation stories in their way. Evolution, the mammalian evolution uh, idea, and and the Genesis story. But I do believe, and I have the vast, vast majority of university-educated biologists and, and natural scientists on my side, that there is good proof that we evolved from tree-climbing primates over the last 10 million years. What sort of an impact have you found your film has on audience members? Uh, look, I'll, I'll tell you the honest truth because I ask the same question to my audience all the time. People are uh, swept away with the adventure. What we try to do is go back in time and tell a story about our evolutionary history and our journey out of Africa, but then to go and meet people who live in ways that can tell us something about our ancestors in all of these amazing places. And those are the stories that sweep people away. So, for example, we went to the southern Philippines. We shot in a war zone. We were the first group of foreigners in 10 years that hadn't been kidnapped in this particular part of the Philippines. And we we went there because we wanted a film with a culture called the Bajau. These are the last traditional breath-hold diving hunter-gatherers on Earth. And there was a good scientific reason for asking, can we hold our breath? Can we gather food below the, 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 the surface of the ocean? Turns out we can. And these people, they'll dive for up to five minutes at a time, down to 30 meters, gathering food. I mean, it's just an incredible story. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. And that's what we set out to do time and time again. So this is actually a good news story. Are we continuing to evolve? Oh, absolutely. Evolution is moving faster than it has at many points in our in our evolutionary history. And, uh, and that will never stop. And we like to think that we live in this technological world of convenience, but we've only really been here for at the most two or three hundred years, so it's a flash in the pan. So don't think that the way we live today is necessarily going to be the way we live in a thousand years. And evolution is unstoppable. It's simply selecting the fittest. Hmm. Huh. 
This must have been obviously exciting, uh, Darren, for you to participate in, not only just because of the magnitude of, of the project and some of the unique challenges it would pose, but also, I suppose, a, a bit of a homecoming. Uh, you're now based in, in Los Angeles. What does it mean for you to be contributing to something like this and, and coming home to Edmonton to conduct the symphony that bears your city's name? Well, you know, 20 years ago, I got my start in, in the business. Um, by right, you know, for the Young Composers Project that the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra had, um, I wrote my first piece of music for orchestra. I was 15. I was a high school kid. Um, you know, I had I had a beer last night with John Astassi, who was a composer in residence of the ESO at the time, who uh, kind of walked me through that. And a lot of the lessons that I learned that I'm using today were learned, you know, 20 years ago. And um, what's incredible about it is that it's an amazing homecoming. You know, um, you know, my friends, my family, my, you know, a lot of professional colleagues get to see me at work, get to see what I do. You know, I, mean, I have Chinese parents. I have still don't really know what I do for a living and you know to be able to have them sit in the windspear and let them you know wave my hand in front of an orchestra and a choir and uh, you know it's pretty oh, that's what he does yeah oh, oh that's like Harry, what he does Harry Potter I wave a wand and magic ta-da that's all he does he's just wave his hands for a living and look what results uh, gentlemen thanks for hanging out with us this morning uh, I, I'm so excited to take this in uh, Darren Fung Niobe Thompson joining us in studio again the presentation The Great Human Odyssey goes this Thursday February 25th with subsequent performances on the Friday and Saturday. All details at edmontonsymphony.com. Welcome home. Thanks, Ryan. Thank Great you, Ryan. Here. Great to be here. We'll be right back. We've got uh, an upstart debate on the text line between evolution and creation. Interesting. Trevor says evolution is stoppable. The human race is now protecting the stupid. All those who would have been eaten by predators or fallen in the tar pit are now given money as a reward for stupidity. Interesting take. Ted wonders if if maybe both could be true. Says God created man but wasn't happy with the outcome, so he let him evolve. But Ted, of course, God is infallible, right? Doesn't make mistakes. This is one of those areas in life where I'm very proud to occupy the zone titled, I don't know, and nobody does. I've heard a lot of talk about intelligent design, evolution via intelligent design. That always gets a good debate going. Our thanks to Dan for sending in the note, wondering if we'll follow up with a view from a creationist. Always happy to foster debate on this show. Who knows? Maybe that could lead to a future Friday morning roundtable. When we come back here in studio after the 11 o'clock news, we'll talk to Mark Schultz, president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors, a new campaign they're rolling out called Oil Respect. And then we'll wrap up the show with uh, a special edition of Really Cool Jobs, a distillery manager over here from Scotland. Should be a great chat. Here's the headlines.